Alright, so we're going to be reading a story in 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you want to either turn on your Bibles or open them up, we're going to start there. And um, we're going to lay out first the context of where we are and what's happening. Uh, the kids just, just read the story about jo Joshua leading the people into the promised land. And it's an interesting phrase that... Um, that it was read there, that if you do what I say, then things are going to go well. Most of the time, that happens. We, leave, we do live in a broken world where we face different things, people with their own agendas, and, and that creates conflict. Nevertheless, the commandments that the Lord have left, both in Old and New Testament, they're not restrictive. They're not supposed to um, be rules of, of, of oppression, but they're freeing. They give us wisdom in order for us to, to know how to live. So this is part of the story. We're going to be looking something into that. Um, but as we know, the, the, the Israelites were free from Egypt. Moses took them through the wilderness 40 years. They misbehaved. That's why that time got extended. Um, then um, the generation passed away. Joshua picked up Moses' mantle. And it's like, I'm going to get you into the land. And that's what happened in the story. Then after that, there's a period of Judges, which is, you read that book, it's, it's a little dark. Everyone saw as they saw, uh, they, everyone did as they saw fit. That's the phrase that keeps coming back. And they did pretty much, we can say anarchy, that would be the case. That time ha passes, and then the Israelites, they want a king. They want to be like the other nations. So we get kings, we get Saul, we get David. We get Solomon. Solomon does great things, but he also misbehaves. And then the kingdom is split into two. And you, you'll be able to see, there's some, uh, there you go. So those are the two kingdoms. Israel becomes two because of, you know, Solomon doing bad stuff. And his kids as well. Uh, so we have the southern kingdom, the yellowish one. We have the blue one, which is Israel. Our story takes place on the northern part. The kingdom of Israel, particularly in Samaria. And then we're going to be moving around from there. So there is a bunch of kings that uh, the, the book of Kings talk, tells about, both first and second kings. And they tell you this is the king of Judah, this is the king of Israel, and so on. So, down the line, the first king after, so Solomon was king, then Rehoboam, he, during his reign, the, the Israel's, the kingdom of Israel split. And uh, Jeroboam, the first king of the northern part, he did bad stuff. And then there's a line of kings that the uh, author in, king in, in the book of 1 Kings tells us about. The one we're going to, where this story happens in, in, in 1 Kings, the current king is King Ahab. Again, in these stories, there's usually the the writer tells us that if they did good in the eyes of the Lord or if they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So he starts telling about King Ahab in 1 Kings 16, 30, 31. And he said, ah, yeah, Ahab, the son of Omri, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. More than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So Jeroboam, what he did is he built statues 
he made a second temple in Samaria. And he's like, oh, these are your gods. These represent uh, the Lord Yahweh, so you can pray, so you can worship them. You don't have to go go down to Jerusalem. So that's what Jeroboam did. But this guy, he not only did that. country you were related in some sense but no go to Syrophath and and Jesus kind of looking back into this story he says you know what in Luke 4 24 to 26 truly I say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown why because Elijah just told there's going to be a famine coming and the first people who's going to be affected are the people who depends on others so if you have plenty and you're giving to someone and then you suddenly have experience in scarcity what do you what do you stop doing is given away. The widows depended on, on, on what others could give them. So, he says to Jesus, No prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut there, shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Seraphim, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now, widowhood, you know, Women back then in a patriarchal society, they depended on their husband. If not, her dad. Sometimes, in many cases, probably dad didn't, wouldn't make it that far along. So it would just be by, by herself. So coming to a widow for food, it's not the smartest move. It would be equivalent to, for us to go to a permanently closed grocery store waiting for it to open up in the morning. You just, you just won't get anything. Nevertheless, in verse 10 and 11, so he arose, Elijah rose, and went to Sarephath. He listens, and he goes. I mean, I wish we could be like him. However, Elijah also knows that with God, nothing is a gamble. Everything is a guarantee. He's sure about that. Now, this is where things get interesting, because he knows that because the Lord has told him. Now he's going to a widow. Who's a pagan widow. Who does not know God. Now will she know that? And when he came to the gate of the city. Behold the widow was there gathering sticks. They're probably easy to identify. Because of their garments. Uh, and Elijah called her and said. Bring me a little water in a vessel. That I may drink. And as she was going to bring it. He called to her and said, so Elijah says, oh, you're going to do this. You know what? Could you bring me a little piece, a morsel of bread in your hand, in your hand as well? And then she said, oh, uh, you know, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. That we may have our last supper. We may eat it. And we may die. The famine was intense. The famine had spread out everywhere. And where Israel had to be the land that was going to bless others. It was not that. Nevertheless, there is an Israelite there. And the widow knows this. You know, probably she had a little bit more before and so on. And she's been rational. I mean, just using it wisely. Just a little bit here, a little bit there. But she got to a point in which there's no more. It's just the last thing for us. Death is at the door. One last meal. 
And that's it. And probably mostly it was going to be for her son. But Elijah tells her, do not fear in verse 13. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And after what, make something for yourself and your son. The nerve on this guy, right? He's just like, what? I just told you, this is the last thing I have for me. Just before we die, we have no more. And you're asking me to, to give it to you. We don't, we don't get this. That, 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 we don't get the thoughts of the widow. We, don't get the, we, can, we can just assume that probably she was thinking something for sure. She was not happy about this situation. And then we have this foreigner telling her, feed me first before you or your kid. But then Elijah continues. We, we don't get any of that. I mean, we, we can understand her feelings. But Elijah says in verse 14, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Alright, but so if you bring me this little cake with what you have left, I'll eat it, you can go back, and you'll, have, you'll still have more oil and flour to do these things. Does that make sense? I don't think so. So she has a choice. You know, use the handful of flour and little oil for me and my son. Have our last meal and we die. Or should I trust this man? Feed this prophet who's a foreigner. He's telling me that when I come back to get more flour and oil, there'll be more. And this is the thing. It's not like gonna, like 20 gallons of oil and, and, and however you measure pounds of, of flour are going to be there. It's just like, well, no, when you pour it and you get some, some flour, there's going to be more. Now, at this point of the story, the Elijah tells her this. If you do this, you still have um, flour and oil. They won't be spent. They won't, they won't run out. Now, at this point of the story, is it a matter of resources, of how much oil and flour she has? Or is it a matter of trusting in the word of the Lord? It's a trust, right? We can read the next verses. We can read the rest of verses. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she, she and he and her household ate from any day. So she, her son, and... She and he and her son. I think, I don't know if I wrote that properly. Whatever. Uh, yeah, she and he and her son household ate for many days. So, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that spoke by Elijah. It was not a matter of how much oil or how much flour. The, the Lord told the widow he was going to provide. The widow had to make a choice. I'm going to trust this man or am, I, or am I not going to trust this man? She had not much to lose, I think, at that point. Nevertheless, she had to make a decision. 
Am I going to trust the word of the Lord? And probably we're not going to be doing, you know, the, the oil and flour and so on. We, maybe we've been in situations in which that has been the case. But the word of the Lord, it tackles and shows us many things. Um, and I want to tell you another story here. Um, this is about a lady who, her name is Mary Johnson. And um, she had a 20-year-old son named Larryman Bird. In February 12, 1993, her son was murdered. The perpetrator was 16-year-old Oshim Israel. That's the perpetrator in that picture there. That's the man who killed her son. No, there's a huge process there. What has happened is that the, after after uh, Oshia had killed her son, he was picked up and he, he was sent to, to prison. Now, something to know here is that she is a devout Christian. Nevertheless, you know, this moves you or... Makes you rethink many things, right? So she says that, um, I was pleased when I knew that he was going to be tried as an adult for first degree murder. murder. So when the judge suddenly changed the charge to second degree murder, I was mad. So I saw him or Shia as an animal. And the only thing that kept me going was being able to give my victim an impact statement. Nevertheless, um, I was inspired by my faith. I ended up by saying I have forgiven him. Because the Bible tells us to forgive. You know, we can read in Luke, and she probably read many times in Luke. But love your enemies, 6.35 to 36. And do, and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Now, what, reward, what kind of reward that is, we just don't know. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So she knew this truth. But, you know, it's your son. So, Oshia's mother came up to the stand and, and, and the perpetrator's mother came and gave her statement and told Mary Johnson to forgive him. And she said she thought she had forgiven him. But then she confesses that she really didn't forgive him. The root of bitterness, they ran deep and anger and hatred towards him and towards people around her just grew. And she remained alive for years. Again, this is not an easy process. But at some point, that truth, you know, forgive your enemies. That truth was still in her. So what she did is she put on request in the Department of Corrections and went to meet him. Meet him. She's never been in prison before. She was scared. And when she got there, she wanted to turn back. But she was with someone, with a friend. And the friend encouraged her, you know what? Keep going. Go, 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 go forward. So Oshia came into the room. And I shook hands with him and said, I don't know you and you don't know me. You didn't know my son. And he didn't know you. So we need to lay down a foundation and get to know one another. They talked for two hours in which he admitted what he had done. 
She could see how sorry he was after the meeting. And for the first time, she said, she said that she could finally forgive him. Just before he left, she left, he asked her and told her, Can I give you a hug? And she just hugged him. She started bawling. Weeping unconsolably. And then she left. And when she came out, came out of prison, she was just thinking, I've just hugged the man who'd murdered my son. She says that she felt something rising from the soles of her feet. She felt like, if she rose from the soles of her feet, and like this huge weight was off of her. She didn't feel any hatred, animosity, or anger. At that moment, she thought it was over. But it really wasn't. He was sentenced for 25 years. She kept visiting him again and again and again and again. So in March 2010, they have a welcome home party for him. Organized with the help of some nuns. The sisters of the hood, that's, that's the, their name. So, um, so when Oshea told me that he, he said he wanted to share that story, you know, to help others. She couldn't believe this. She, he has be, had become her spiritual son. That's what she says. It's not easy, she says, for us to stand next to each other again and again and share our story. But I say to other mothers, probably going through a similar situation, that it is talking and sharing your story is the road to healing. She keeps saying, she says this about him. I treat you as I would treat my son. From the moment in which... The, she took the stand and everything, the trial happened and she went to visit. 12 years had happened. Then after that, 13 more, right? 25 years, give or take. Um, she got visiting in, in prison. Now she's, she could say that. She could say that I am treating you so we treat my son. And our relationship is beyond belief. We live next door. They're neighbors to one another. They are neighbors. My natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate. Now you're going to college. I have the opportunity to see you graduate. Now I didn't see him getting married. Hopefully one day, that's her hope, I'll be able to experience that with you. So there they are. That's the son in the picture. She believed, she trusts that the word of the Lord can bring life out of death. Yes, it is a story in which she forgave him, the perpetrator. But she forgave because she's trusting that that's the way forward. That's how we do life. That's how we receive life when we trust the word of the widow. For the widow, um, it was not a matter of resources, right? It was a matter of trusting the Lord, the jar of oil, the jar of flour, and the jug of oil won't be empty. For her, it wasn't a matter of resources either. She's, she's a Christian. We are Christians. She has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has made her dwelling, His dwelling, in her. So, it's not a matter of having the power or not having the power. It's a matter of trusting that the Word of God is life-given. 
He trusted in the word of the Lord, achieved what seemed almost impossible. Not only forgive the perpetrator, but have a relationship as a mother and son with him. And now for us, let's think back a few weeks ago. We have a sermon series, right? Living on Purpose. We have been given a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Who have been told, who, and we have been told through the Bible, not to grow weary and doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. We have been encouraged to trust the Lord that He can change our purposes, direct them or align them with His. We have been given the power to do so. And as impossible as it may look like to become a person different from who we are now, or to go to a person who we haven't talked to, just to become new creature is not a matter of resources. Because we have the best resource of all. It's a matter that are we trusting that the word of the Lord will come through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is life. Your word defeats death and he defeated it. We see it in Jesus. We saw how your word became flesh and just went everywhere announcing that you're redeeming this world. You not only at um, defeating with the power of love the bullies of this world, but you're also tackling our pride and our and our heart, changing it, transforming it. And again, Father, it's it, the ball is in our court. You've done what's needed to be done. You've given us new life. You have trans. You have given us the opportunity to be transformed by your Spirit. Do we trust this? Help us. Give us more faith. As we are challenged to continue to go forward. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be in the nick of time. It's the slow and gentle process of transforming every inch of who we are. That's what you have revealed to us. That's what you have told us, Father. And we have been given the power to do so. A spirit that is not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Help us trust and believes and treasure these truths. In your name we pray. Amen.